0: Hi, I'm Carmen Laburge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge.
1: Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen Laburge on Faith Radio.
0: Monday, the 3rd of February, 2020. Okay. I have like three hours of content and eight minutes to deliver it. So obviously that's not going to happen. And so, um, I am going to post some commentary today, um, under something I'm going to call must read Monday. And I'm going to do so at my website, reconnect with Carmen.com. Here's uh, here's what I'm going to address there that I don't have time to address here. Yesterday was groundhog day. And most of us are uh, very, very familiar with the uh, with the Groundhog Day movie. It was actually featured last night in uh, in ads for the super Bowl. Um, we you know we all yesterday, based on the predictions of uh, a, a, of a groundhog um, predict in early spring. I actually um, came out with that prediction last week when I saw the robins in my yard. Um, the, the Groundhog Day movie, however, is worthy of worldview conversation because it is, it is Buddhist in its worldview. Most of us have never talked about that. Most of us have never, like, examined it in that way. And so um, if you want more on that, you're going to have to go to reconnectwithcarmen.com. I will post that later today, some comments related to uh, the Groundhog Day movie and its Buddhist worldview. Yesterday was the Super Bowl, so congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. If you um, watch the halftime show, um, not only are your pupils, but your brain is probably seared with images that should not be there. Um, And so uh, that's I will let that go at that. The ads during the Super Bowl um, were I thought they were great. yesterday for the most part, I mean, some of them were just flat out weird. But that's because I'm not the target market anymore for a lot of the ads out there. One of the ads I was anticipating that did not disappoint was uh, was featuring Mr. Peanut. I I had learned in advance of the Super Bowl that the death of Mr. Peanut would be dealt with during an ad series. Um, And so uh, I was curious to see how that would unfold. And for those of you who watched, you know that although Mr. Peanut died, he was raised to newness of life in the form of Baby Nut. And Baby Nut is now going to give Baby Yoda sort of a run for the money. Um, I thought it was uh, curious that Kool-Aid tears uh, had the resurrection power. There's some worldview conversation for you to have today. Um, uh, that which was dead was raised to newness of life by the tears uh, of, of Kool-Aid. I don't know. We're not drinking the Kool-Aid anymore. Apparently, we're being resurrected by its tears. So there's all kinds of opportunity there to talk around that subject matter. Another ad worthy of note is that of New York Life. New York Life uh, has been out of the Super Bowl advertising game for 30 years. And they decided to stage their Super Bowl comeback with an ad about love. The commercials actually entitled Agape. And it explores the, the four loves documented in the ancient Greek language, four loves documented in the scriptures, um, four loves that we talk about um, at our churches. Now, it is interesting the way that this insurance company chose to not only encourage people to love one another, but to lift up agape as that most profound or admirable types of love, which they def- defined as involving courage, sacrifice, and strength. Now, for you and I, who are Christians, we know that agape is, is poured forth by God in the person of Jesus Christ and in the act of, of his unimaginable grace upon the cross. And so you and I have the opportunity today to not just reflect on uh, a Super Bowl ad by an insurance company provoking us to love one another. Um, But it gives us the opportunity as Christians to point back to the scriptures and say, hey, I actually know some places where that word appears. Um, Let's actually talk about, there's a whole chapter, right? There's a whole chapter in Paul's correspondence with the Christians uh, in the Church of Corinth. There's a whole chapter on love. It gets read at a lot of weddings, probably misappropriated in that environment. Um, Jesus talks a lot about love. The new command that Jesus gives is that we would love one another um, as he has loved us, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Um, and, and you are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. There's all kinds of opportunity today to have conversations about love, the the kind of love that God expresses. And yes, the kind of love um, that you and I, phileo, uh, are intended to express to one another as friends. And then the the kind of love, eros, that is Uh, expressly reserved by God for the context of human sexual relationships, specifically in marriage between a man and a woman. There are endless opportunities to use a Super Bowl ad here for um, deep worldview conversations. All right. The Iowa caucus is also today. Uh, Again, don't have really time to delve into this, but I want to highlight for you that not only is Bernie Sanders a dedicated socialist leading the pack and the polls in terms of uh, the Democratic nomination process, But Elizabeth Warren has revealed a little bit more about how she would intend to form her cabinet if elected president of the United States. She told a crowd in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, quote, I'm going to have a secretary of education that this young trans person. So she's she has set a child among them who identifies as transgender. And she is using that child um, as as the way that she intends to interview any person who she would uh, consider as serving as secretary of education in her administration. She says, and only if this person, this trans-identified child, only if this person believes that our secretary of education nominee is someone who is committed to creating a welcoming environment, a safe environment, and a full educational curriculum for everyone, will that person actually be advanced to be secretary of education. I'm just letting you know, Elizabeth Warren plans to um, fill her cabinet by allowing um, children who are confused about their very identity to decide uh, who is going to lead something as significant as the Department of Education. So I just, I throw that in there because I do think we have to be paying attention to what people are saying, what these candidates are saying in places that, um, uh, like Iowa, where people really do uh, pay attention to what each and every candidate is advancing. All right, Robbie Angle is up next. Uh, I, I think I will, I'll pose this question this way. Do you feel like your relationships are real and that you are freely authentic in those relationships? Or do you feel like, you know, you're playing a lot of roles that you learned how to play as a child um, to fulfill the expectations of others because you were told to behave in certain ways in certain spaces and places, um, and really it's not who you are. And so you're really not experiencing the real life in your full identity in Jesus Christ um, in every relationship. Robbie Engel works with an organization called True Face and he's gonna be here next. We're gonna talk about not only bringing grace in the workplace, but actually living as who we are as uh, as the people of God deployed in this generation that conversation up next on morning to Carmen Joining me now, Robbie Angle from True Face. You can find him at trueface.org. You can also find them on Twitter at truefaced. That would be like past tense with a D on the end. Robbie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Carmen.
0: Okay, so you and I are going to have a couple of personal questions, and then we're going to take a break. And we come back, we're going to talk about bringing grace into the workplace today. But you've got eight kids, and so I and I have seen the beautiful picture of your family posted at the True Face. Um, website, so I would just love for you to share how has God knit your particular family together?
2: Yeah, uh, with uh, pretty aggressively, He's knitted our family with eight. There's kids. lots
0: of babies uh, in that picture.
2: There are. Um, my wife, my wife likes babies. I like them as well, but uh, she, I would say she has problems with babies. But <laughs> even even crazy people have found their limits, and I think eight is enough for us. Our twins. Uh, we we bookended twins. Uh, both both sets are adopted. We've got nine year old twins and one year old twins, and then we've got uh, four in the middle. So five adopted, three biological kids. Six boys, two girls. Um, they're all nine and under, and so our dance parties are off the chain. Um, but we we are it, it. We don't have much time or energy or money with eight little kids, but it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of dancing, a lot of wrestling, a lot of playing at all times.
0: So, I I wanted our listeners to know that because you're a real person. You're a real husband, you're a real dad. You are engaged in a real church. Um you have really served uh, around the world in some of uh, in some difficult places. I know that you and your wife served with Samaritans Purse in both Pakistan and Myanmar um give us a little bit of of sense of uh, obviously your faith story motivates you to love in ways and extend yourself in ways that um other people for whatever reason other christians do not yet feel so released and so can you just share share your heart with us a little bit
2: yeah i, I um A lot of that, a lot of my drive uh, that's taken me around the world doing missions and other stuff actually stemmed from a position that isn't as healthy. Um, I, I think some of our what God calls us to do as the body is uniquely for us, and God has made me okay with risk and challenge and adventure. Um, and so I think a lot of it's a personality thing, coupled with a pretty sincere faith of going, God, I'll do whatever and, and for you. And my wife is similar and so she'll, she'd go to Pakistan and have eight little kids and adopt five. And um, But I, I think a lot of it, um, I've worked at churches, at North Point Church, one of the largest churches in the country, and I've done missions. But a lot of that was out of a high drive, high achiever in me. Who said, "Okay, God, you're the only thing that matters. I want to go big for you." And um, in in doing that, I wanted to live a life um, to make Him proud, which really stemmed from my fears of not living a life of purpose, of looking back at eighty, going, "I wish I should have, I could have done more for God." Um, and but really, a lot of that stems from my pride of trying to please God, um, and and trying to do enough for God which a a lot of us know we've done that. And and when we do amazing things for God or this or that, it doesn't result in any more peace or joy or contentment from him than when we don't do those things, because it's the wrong driver. It's me trying to earn his love um, for most of my Christian life. Uh, It's been this driver to try to please him instead of in my brokenness, just receive his love for me and realize the depth of the original good news that he did it all. There's nothing more He needs me to do. He doesn't need any of us to do anything. But in if we receive His love, the outpouring of that is loving other people. And and if that looks like ministry or not ministry in our work, in missions, it doesn't really matter because it's the reflection of Christ in us and loving others, not trying to love others in order to receive His His love. Did that make any sense?
0: That makes perfect sense, and it's a really good segue to the conversation that you and I are going to have right after the break. So when we um, when we come back, uh, Robbie Angle and I are going to continue this conversation because each and every one of us is going to get up and go to work today, and who we are in that place needs to be authentically who we are in Christ, and then then grace will overflow to other people. And so we're going to talk about um, how you are actually going to be an agent of grace in the workplace today. How are you going to take work? How are you going to take grace? Into your place of work. That conversation up next with Robbie Angle. We'll be right back.
2: Made. The made you the made.
0: Continuing my conversation now with Robbie Angle. You can find him at True Face T R U E. F-A-S-E, trueface.org. You can also find them on Twitter at truefaced. Um, Robbie, let's talk about this post that you've got, uh, this blog post that you have at trueface.org, about taking grace into the workplace. I think that um, when we're we're talking with Christians, we sort of recognize um, that we have a calling. Sometimes we get to do our vocation for pay where we go to work every day. Sometimes those don't perfectly align. Um, talk with us about work being a gift.
2: Yeah, Carmen, I, it, it's such a paradigm shift because a lot of us dread it, especially if we're sleepy from staying up from the Super Bowl, going in Monday morning, going, man, it, another week. I'm going to grind it through. It, uh, stats show us that correlation with happiness has nothing to do with whether we work or not, uh, or whether we don't have to work, but actually. Happiness is found in work a lot of times, and god 's made us and designed us to be product, pro, to be productive and fruitful and to put our hands to the plow and so it 's a blessing uh, to be able to work and to be productive and so that paradigm shift heading into a week of being thankful for our jobs which provide for our families and our and opportunities to love other people really really is a gift um, and those of us who might be out of work uh, know that a little bit more deeply than those of us that are coming in sleepy this Monday morning. So
0: um, beyond recognizing that, you know, that work is a gift um, and, and a responsibility, you say that um, we can also model grace regardless of our position. Um, I yeah. think that sometimes we imagine that only the person, you know, that sort of has all the power is really in an opportunity to be a person of grace, but that's not true.
2: Yeah, I think all of us uh, know this to be true. If we think about the people that we've come across in our workplaces that have stood out and represented grace to us. Um, I think back to my past and I think about a couple people, JP and Bobby. Um, Bobby, she she didn't have a position of influence in any way and neither did JP in my life. But when I think back over the past 20 years and different jobs, those two represented love and grace to me in a way that were served as a model of how to love people in the workplace and don't get me wrong grace is being loving and grace oriented in the workplace is not passive it is not soft. they got stuff done um but they got stuff done in a way that trusted God and depended on God because if it was if we didn't need to trust God, we wouldn't need to depend on him to show up, and so they were They were getting stuff done. They were being fruitful and productive. But Bobby and JP, when I think about how they loved people well – they were getting things done, but had an unhurriedness to them. There was a peace in them and a presence relationally that just felt different than anybody else running around the office. And I really believe after I got to know them that it stemmed from a deep trust and relationship with the Father. And it had nothing to do with their position, how much they were getting done, um, them having hard conversations, but their presence and trust in God showed up in just a peacefulness and an unhurriedness in the workplace. And I think all of us can think about those people that we know who have either stood out as that example or not that example. And that's the opportunity we've got. We we get to go into a week where everybody else is tired from the Super Bowl as well. And we can get be productive and get stuff done, but we can be present and, and love people in the environments that God has us, which is again as we talked earlier it doesn't matter if we're in pakistan doing missions work or we're we're doing pizzas at papa john's we are coming across people and able to represent who christ is in us through those relationships um and and that's regardless of where we are what we're doing or what position which is exciting for all of us heading into a week
0: yeah i like to think of those as the you know divine appointments that god has set that aren't on my calendar but um but because i'm his agent they need to be you know, I need to be ready to respond positively to them, which pretty much takes us to the third point, and that is that grace in the workplace takes time.
2: Yeah, it, it, it is not on our timetable. I've got a good friend, Tim, uh, who's a consultant. He's a mentor of mine, and and he was telling me how he had done a consulting gig with a organization about ten years ago, and um, he came. He he spent like five days with this organization. And he bumped into an executive 10 years later, and he was just part of the consulting team. And the guy goes, Tim, I have thought about you since we met 10 years ago. You were so different, man, and, and you have messed up my perspective on how to engage with other people in the workplace. There's something different about you. He had no clue Tim was a believer, but Tim was modeling that patience and peace of trusting God with those divine appointments and it being on God's time t- timetable. And it might take 10 years of daily, patiently loving the person in our office, or it might be a five, you know, a couple day encounter with somebody trusting God with that stuff. He's, he's the one that's going to provide the outcomes of that relationship, not us in the first place. So that's a fresh reminder to go, yep, yeah, it's on his timetable and we can be patient and trust him on the timeframe.
0: Hey, Robbie. Um, before we let you go, let's give people one tangible way they can put this into practice today how can How can people tangibly take this and take grace into the workplace today?
2: That's awesome. I would start by inviting God and go, God, show me that appointment that person that I can slow down and love and and to to pray and then say, be receptive to the subtle nudge of one person to just love to be a, to slow down." ask a second follow-up question to, and just be present in relationship with that person today.
0: I love that. All right, we're going to pray that God would open us up to responding to his subtle nudge. I love that language, Um, and that we would then ask the second question of that person whom we encounter, to whom God really does want to extend grace today through us. Robbie Angle, thank you so much. You guys can follow up with Robbie at trueface.org. We'll be right back. So, in addition to the question of whether or not you are going to heaven, um, as a Christian, part of the responsibility is that we would live here and now as as ambassadors of those kingdom realities. And so, you know the, the brand muffin is about taking care of of the body, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so you and I um, are not just living in anticipation of heaven. We are living as agents of that place and of those principles here and now. And so, um, you know, although with Paul, we acknowledge the apostle Paul, although we acknowledge that to um, uh, to live as Christ and to die is gain, like right, we long for heaven. We look forward to heaven, um, but we also we also are excited about taking advantage of every moment and every opportunity that we have here on earth, that God's grace would be extended to more and more people. So although it's, an, it's absolutely critical and important to answer the question um, about whether or not we are going to heaven, but once that question is answered in the affirmative, then we have a ministry. Then we have a moment-by-moment ministry here on earth, um, and that is that God's grace would be extended to more and more people. And so just because you know that you're going to heaven, that doesn't mean that there's not labor for you to do today in the culture where God has placed and planted you. So some of our mission partners around the world whom God has deployed to very hard places, uh, they relate back to us through an organization called Mission Network News. And so Ruth Kramer is up next. She's going to share with us what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing in some very difficult places where God has called them to serve on his behalf. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in Nigeria, Kenya, Iran, and China. All that up next. here on mornings with Carmen. So hearing uh, John Stone Street talk about the Wilberforce Weekend, which is in the middle of May, it makes me it reminds me that we have an event coming up july twenty four and twenty five that may be of interest to you. It is at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. It's called the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. You can find out all of the information and register at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. It's an in, it's an opportunity uh, for you, whether or not you're a professional or amateur writer, to improve your craft, learn about getting published, network with fellow writers, industry professionals, people like me and Susie Larson, Karen Kingsbury, Alicia Britt, uh, Shelly. Lots of really extraordinary people. Are going to be there. Um, we'd love to meet you there as well. Northwestern Christian Writers We'll be right back.
2: Sometimes a healthy pursuit can have unhealthy manifestations, like trying to belong and fit in. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your teen seeks personal validation from peers, this isn't inherently bad. It may look like rebellion to you. It may lead to inappropriate behaviors and some strange choices in clothing and music at times. But in reality, your teen may just be a little off track. So how do you steer a kid that's headed in the wrong direction? Well, let your child's choices teach him the truth. If he looks like a dork, he sounds like an idiot, he acts like a jerk, eventually, he can't continue in that direction without facing deeper trouble. Let him face those consequences without rescuing
0: him. Failure is an irreplaceable education for living in the real world. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at
1: parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Returning uh, now is Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Uh, you can find them online at mnnonline.org. You can also find them on Twitter mnn team. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. This um this opening conversation about Nigeria is really a conversation about international religious freedom and and our need to be fighting for it. Um, all over the world. Tell us what is happening in Nigeria, which in your article is just described as a country in chaos.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Nigeria right now stands at number 12 on this year's Open Doors World Watch list because of the persecution that Christians are enduring in that country. Um, you know, you've got an insurgency going on right now through the Boko Haram, which is uh, an, an extremist Islamist terror group that is running rampant throughout uh, most of Nigeria, focusing specifically on the northern part of the country. At the same time, you've got the Fulani herdsmen um, who are also targeting the Christians because for some for some of them, it's an issue about resources, and for others, it's an issue of you're not like us, so we need to get rid of you. So the Christians are taking it from both ends. And really, the Nigerian church is, has um, put the call out there, to the greater body of Christ uh, around the world, how come nobody's speaking up for us? Why aren't we getting any attention? Why aren't people standing up to speak out on our behalf uh, to try to help us affect some change and get some control of the situation? Because Boko Haram, as I say, is is uh, affecting so many things in, in the country. Um, you know, they've got influence in at least 10 out of the 36 states In the country. And those are the largest 10 in the northern part of the country where you've got thousands of attacks that are taking place against Christians every year. Um, In this situation, uh, because of how ineffective the government has been at getting control of the the situation there, uh, you've now had Boko Haram attacks spilling over the country's borders into Cameroon, Chad, and Burkina Faso. So now you're also involving other countries in here where these extremists are uh, targeting people that they feel are preventing them from achieving their goal, which for Boko Haram, Western education descent, that's what it means in Hausa, Um, they want to er er eradicate any influence that is not Islamic in in their sphere of influence. The danger is when we don't speak up for situations like this, we can see what occurred in, uh, say, Syria and Iraq with ISIS. You know, when ISIS first started rolling, they they hit a few churches, they started hitting a few schools, they hit a few uh, military stations, and nobody said anything. And then all of a sudden in the spring, they started rolling. And within a matter of days, they had almost complete control of Syria and Iraq. Um, and that's what can happen with something like these insurgencies that go completely unchecked, where you just aren't seeing a response to say, this isn't OK. We are we are standing up for you know our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, because if nobody stands up for them there, who's going to help us? Who's going to speak for us? If something like that occurs, you know, elsewhere uh, or maybe to us,
0: yeah, it, it it's one of those situations that you know I just recognize, Ruth. There there is a sense um, that I feel a little powerless, and I recognize that you know this is at um, this has now grown to uh, to such a um, to such a level. I mean, I I'm certainly ardently praying, but what else um, can Christians be doing?
1: You know, um, our friends at Open Doors are really becoming advocates to put some pressure on our political system because the United States – uh, really has a lot of sway in the international community. So what David Curry is saying is, is, asking us to do is to contact our representatives and and just let them know that we are watching this situation and we want to stand up on behalf of the Christians, the religious minority in Nigeria that's being persecuted by these terror groups. I mean, you've got the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom that recognizes this. The whole situation in Nigeria is also recognized in the uh, international. Uh, religious Freedom Report that's uh, you know issued annually. And that has impact on the State Department and our policies. It has impact on the sanctions that we put on with pressure uh, to get governments to kind of recognize that there are certain people in your country that you promise to protect and you're not doing the job. So we're going to we're going to let you know we're watching the situation as As you know ordinary people who don't have the president's ear or who don't have the ear of the Congressman or the ambassador uh, at large for international religious freedom, what we can be doing is talking to our local representatives that's why we have their contact information. We can start at the state level, go to your congressman, you voted him into office. So or maybe you didn't vote him in office, but you have contact, a way to contact your congressman and say, we're watching this situation. What can be done? What are we doing? What do you know about it?
0: That's very helpful. All right. Let's pivot and talk about what is happening um, in in Kenya. Um, And I know there's a couple of angles we could go with this. So I'm just going to let you pick up this ball uh, and fill us in on what's happening with our brothers and sisters in Kenya.
1: Well, you know Kenya for a long time was thought of as the place where you could establish a beachhead and affect the surrounding areas um you know uh, in terms of gospel work because Kenya has been safe for so long but Kenya also borders a couple of states in the Horn of Africa that are extremely Lawless, and you know you've got Somalia. That's the one we're really looking at here. And Somalia is so lawless, with a failed government in place, that they rank number two on the failed state index. I think they're the 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 index is called something else, the Fragile State Index now. Um, But that's just because, you know, there is no control over anything when it comes down to the insurgency that's taking place in that country. And that is the Al-Shabaab. Al-Shabaab has thrown its hat into the uh, the ring with Al-Qaeda. So they're kind of a branch off of that. And to separate it from the group we were talking about earlier, Boko Haram also broke off from al-Qaeda, and some of them threw their hat in with ISIS. So they became the West African province of the Islamic State. Um, so now you have, you know, the uh, the organization of al-Qaeda that's kind of spread into other areas in Africa. So we're talking about an insurgency that has similar goals in, um, in creating chaos and destabilizing a region in a place like Kenya. Uh, part of that reason, though, is because... Um, the the terrorists that are coming across the border from Somalia are very upset at Kenya for being part of a peacekeeping force that's trying to restore law and order back into Somalia. When there is law and order and a government, then you cannot have pirates, then you cannot have insurgencies and terrorists running rampant in the country. So to let Kenya know that we don't want your peacekeepers here um, and to try to put some pressure on the government, they're crossing the border now and attacking different installations just across the border. Uh, And that that would be in Garissa State for Kenya. Now, if you remember a number of years back, uh, terrorists took over a mall in a a tourist area in Nairobi. So uh, that was al-Shabaab as well. And, uh, you know, al-Shabaab has made some... Very um, bold attacks to try to carry out their message, which is we do not want Kenya in our in our space, in our territory. And if you keep sending your soldiers here, we are going to take stronger me- uh, uh, methods to let you know. Um, so they look at soft targets, and a lot of the soft targets tend to be schools. Which they have attacked in Garissa State, so the university, a primary school, churches, and that kind of thing, um, and so that is causing some concern for Kenya now, uh, because now they're having to deal with an insurgency that really isn't theirs, and uh, believers in this part of Kenya that that borders um, with Somalia are kind of they're, they're alarmed. They are never sure when they go to church or when they send their kids to school if there's going to be an attack, because that's how frequently these things are happening. And it's not just the Christians. And right now, it's also encompassing um, military installations and also police stations. So when these insurgents are trying to, um, you're asking, you you might ask, you know, what is the goal? What do they want out of all of this? Um, They want lawlessness. They want instability, because in that instability, chaos Rains. So our partners are saying, pray for the believers. Uh, we've got another partner who's actually at the at the beginning of establishing a church planting network in Kenya to reach some of these areas. So the people that they've got networked together to train and to to launch some of these things are still going forward because they're saying, you know, now that you have these these situations here, people need to know who their savior is more than ever before. <laughs> so be praying, They're praying for even, you know, al Shabaab terrorists to encounter the gospel and in in, in encountering the gospel have one of these Saul to Paul kind of moments because the only person that can transform someone like that is the person of Christ.
0: Amen. All right. uh, Ruth Kramer and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to take a pivot to Iran. Uh, That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Returning now to my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at MNNOnline.org. Ruth, let's let's move to Iran. Let's talk about the protests and the crackdowns um, and then this missing Christian activist.
1: Yeah, this has been an interesting situation with Iran. I mean, the protests have been going on for a number of months now, and they kind of started with um, a call— <clears throat> to deal with the the um um I'm trying to think of the word the corruption uh that the young people believe the government was uh, falling prey to and um when the government came down hard, crack down hard on the initial wave of protesters, that got people upset. And then it turned into um, calls for sweeping change and calls for the Ayatollah to step down, which of course didn't happen. Um, And that led to a stronger response, a military response, which just kind of kept on fueling the fire. Um, And then as soon as it seemed like uh, things had settled down, you had the situation with uh, Iran- admitting faults in the Ukrainian jetliner being shot down. And at that point, the Iranians were enraged. Um, it just sort of was like adding gasoline to an, uh, you know, a, a fire that was starting to bank. Part of the reason they were so angry about that situation was because they felt like the government's uh, attempt to cover it up brought shame to the country as a whole. And because these people were not part of the cover-up, They wanted to let people know that uh, they weren't okay with how their government handled this situation. They also wanted to let the government know they were enraged. Uh, That's probably the best way to put it. They, they, They shifted from a certain chant about whatever it was they were focused on at the time to our enemy is among us. Um, because the military was shooting at its own people, because the government was uh, trying to cover up its culpability in a situation that killed a lot of innocent people. Um, In all of this, the government was trying to get control back of what was happening. Um, uh, They were very concerned about the what it could lead to. Um, You know, protests could lead to movements and movements could lead to other things. Um, And so they started a crackdown of sweeping arrests on people that they considered to be troublemakers. And one of these people was a Christian activist. Her name is uh, Mary Fatima Mohammadi. And since her arrest on January 12th, she's just disappeared. Nobody can track her down. Nobody knows where she is right now. That's not a good thing. The normal places you would think that you prisoners like this would show up uh, she 's not there, so there are a lot of concerns about what might have happened to her. She was well known as a christian activist uh, a lot of A lot of the partners that we 're talking to about this situation are saying that um, aside from condemning the arrest of this woman. Um, that this is just another result of her publicly converting from Islam to Christianity and openly sharing her faith. She was well-known as an evangelist as well. I mean, that's why they called her a Christian activist is because she – was am- among the numbers of Iranians who converted to Christianity and wasn't shy about keeping that quiet. And she she had a very active social media account. So the government looked at her activity as um, acting against the national security through propaganda against the regime. Her Christian activity, her sharing her faith was like a, a state crime, acting against national security through propaganda against the regime. So she accused the government of hard repression. She accused them of a lot of other things. And at the same time, she was sharing her faith in Christ. And the government said, enough, we need to silence her. Because she is so well known, when when she disappeared, people noticed it. And so now the different partners that are involved with the situation are just saying, don't let this fall off your radar screen. Continue to pray, because this kind of a move is meant to intimidate Christians into silence. Um. And so, Heart for Iran, Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors USA, um, Mohabbat TV, Sat Seven, uh, Pars are all saying continue to pray for the body of Christ that they remain bold in their faith because when they are open, outspoken about their faith, things like this happen to them.
0: We're also going to um, direct our listeners to your website for information about connecting with Christians in China who are responding to. Uh, responding in the region where the coronavirus outbreak began. And so we want to encourage listeners to go to MNNOnline.org, read more about what we have just been talking with Ruth about in Nigeria, Kenya, and Iran, but also check out um, this information about what is happening in, in China um and then they've also got a great piece there posted about something in hap- happening in Pakistan. So, um all kinds of great information there Ruth as always thank you so much for helping us understand what's happening with our brothers and sisters around the
1: world. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. We'll be right back.
0: Okay, so so many things, um, so many angles to cover today, and you, um, as you enter into this day, are going to say to yourself, wow, that's just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by the number of of things that I would need to pay attention to um, in order to feel effective and informed. Um, Let this just be a moment of peace and mercy and a deep breath, recognizing that God's mercies are new every morning, and they are for you. God's mercies are new every morning, and they are for you. Um, His mercies are new every morning because every morning we need new mercy. I mean, I, I have been awash in that recognition and realization in the last few weeks. God's mercies are new every morning because every morning we need His mercy anew. And so I'm going to encourage you, as I always as I always do, to be in the Word of God before you head out into the world that He so loves, I'm going to encourage you to pray the news in all of these um, arenas and and issues that we have been addressing here in this last half hour. Um, let us be praying uh, for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We all know that persecution is real, um, and it is, it is frightening, but it's also expected. And so let us not be people who live as if persecution is... Um, outside of what we should expect as Christian believers. So let me encourage you today to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and praying for our neighbors and frankly praying for ourselves, that we would be found faithful in those moments when being a Christian is not popular um, and happens to be kind of hard, even right here in the United States of America. More up next, another hour of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.